First, we're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, and we're looking at verses 1 to 11. Now, we have the NIV Blue Bibles, which you can follow along in if you want one of those. The actual version I'm using on the screen, which I will read from, is the International Children's Bible. So uh, this is one of the versions that has been used in our kids' group, and um, we hope this is just a little bit easier for the children listening in as well as we read the Scriptures. But we'll make sure the Bibles um, are being given out if you want a hard copy to use. So, Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 1, reading through to verse 15. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day after the Sabbath day was the first day of the week. At dawn on the first day, Mary Magdalene and another woman named Mary went to look at the tomb. At that time, there was a strong earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven. The angel went to the tomb and rolled the stone away from the entrance. Then he sat on the stone. The soldiers guarding the tomb were very frightened of the angel. They shook with fear and then became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, the one who was killed on the cross, but he is not here. He has risen from death as he said he would. Come and see the place where his body was and go quickly and tell his followers, say to them, Jesus has risen from death. He is going into Galilee. He will be there before you. You will see him there. Then the angel said, Now I have told you. The women left the tomb quickly. They were afraid, but they were also very happy. They ran to tell Jesus' followers what had happened. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. The women came up to Jesus, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go on to Galilee. They will see me there. The women went to tell Jesus' followers. At the same time, some of the soldiers who had been guarding the tomb went into the city. They went to tell the leading priests everything that had happened. Then the priests met with the Jewish elders and made a plan. They paid the soldiers a large amount of money. They said to the soldiers, tell the people that Jesus' followers came during the night and stole the body while you were asleep. If the governor hears about this, we will satisfy him and save you from trouble. So the soldiers kept the money and obeyed the priests. And that story is still spread among the Jews even today. Well, Father, I pray that as we look at this passage together as a church family, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that he would point out things we need to hear and know. And that what I've prepared might help us no matter how young or old we are, how many times we've heard this account before, that, Father, there'll be something fresh and new, some new insight that you can lay upon our hearts and minds today, that we would love you more, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's the first bit that I need the kids to come down and help me with. So, children, young people, if you can come down to the front, that would be really useful, because I want to ask you a very big question And it's a question that the adults are going to have to help answer as well. It's, what are you afraid of? Might be coming down to the front to help at church with the kids' bits at church. But great. 
Here we are, eager to go. So, what are we afraid of? There are so many things I think that people can be afraid of when it comes to life, isn't it? And we're going to see some of the things that are most common that people get worried about or afraid of. So, the first one, and adults, your task is to work out if you know the technical name of this particular fear. So, can we have the first slide? <gasps> what is that? What are a lot of people afraid of? I'll go to Hannah. Her hand was up first. Spider. Yeah. Now, any adults who knows the technical term for a phobia of spiders? Anyone? Arachnophobia. Okay, so kids, I want you to stand up, and Annie, you're going to stand just near the PowerPoint um, projector, but not close enough that the kids can knock it over. Annie represents really happy, chilled out about spiders, and Katie over here represents really very scared, okay? So, kids, where are you? Chilled out, not so worried about them, somewhere in the middle, or very, very scared about spiders. And adults, hands up if you're chilled out about spiders. It's not a problem. Scared. Ooh, that's a bit hard to judge. It's a bit 50-50 there, but um, okay, so here we go. Right, let's, there's quite a spread, even spread there as well. Second slide, please, Frank. What's this one? What can people be afraid of? Lightning and thunder, thunderstorms. Anyone know the technical term for this one? Eric, well done. Yeah, storm, storm phobia, or what was the other thing you said to me earlier? Pete, are you scared of astrophobia, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, astrophobia. Can we flick on the slide? The answer should be there. So, thunderstorms. Very, very scared. Who's very scared of thunderstorms? Or very happy and chilled out? In, in fact, actually finds them refreshing. Ooh. Or in the middle. There's quite a few that are just... So, spiders and thunderstorms. There are a few moving about. Adults, who's chilled out in a thunderstorm? Who has to run and take cover? Okay, they, it seems like we're quite chilled out, which is good in Manchester because, you know, they, they happen here quite frequently, don't they? Right, next one. Thank you. Now, this isn't a picture of the M60. Um, earthquakes. Earthquakes. Does anyone know the technical term for an earthquake? A fear of earthquakes. This is something that one in five Americans is really scared of. Oh, some kids' hands up again. Adults, anyone want to shout out what they think this one might be? A phobia that's size, let's flick on seismophobia. I think Sam was uh, articulating that. Brilliant. Okay. Kids, are you scared of earthquakes? Very happy about them? Or, sorry, very scared, very happy? Yeah, scared. I'd be scared. I can remember one happening in Manchester a few years ago. I thought someone had driven into our house. It was just a in the night. It was really weird because we don't normally get them here. But there we go. Right, okay, next one. What's this on the screen? Eric again. It looks like snow. That's a very good shout. It isn't quite snow. It doesn't melt. Fluff, yes. And you can buy this fluff in the shops as well. Let's go over to George. What is it, George? Oh, it does look like marshmallows, but if you ate these, you'd be spitting them out. Anyone else? 
Anyone else for what it is? Elizabeth. Cotton wool. Now, you're going, really? Are people scared of cotton wool? Oh, yes, they are. And the name of this, you'll never guess this, I doubt. Frank, bang it on. Who can say that? Syndoglobophobia. Now, I had a friend at university called James. He was scared out of his wits about cotton wool. You pull it in front of him, he hated it. Guess what we did as mates on an April Fool's? That's right. We filled his room with it and hid it all over the place. And over the months ahead, he kept finding cotton wool. That's how you face your fears. We were doing him a service. Last, oh, look, everyone here is happy. Don't eat it, okay? It's not for eating. Yeah, well done, Jacob. Don't put it in your mouth. Next one, final one, I think, chocolate. And look at that. I found that. And that, can you see the picture on the left? Yeah, that's Smarties, it's mini eggs. That's a chocolate cheesecake in an Easter egg. That is chocolate fantastic, isn't it? Your sister always eats chocolate. I bet she's not alone, especially today. Now, is there such a thing of a phobia of chocolate? There is. And again, the name is spelt strangely. Frank, do you want to flick it on for us? But it's actually Coco Latte Phobia. Interesting. Who is very scared of chocolate or very happy? Very scared? Okay, Eric, you're on. Are you happy or scared with it? Okay. So you don't want anything to do with chocolate. That's good news at home, isn't it, Emmanuel? <laughs> but everyone seems quite chilled out. Adults like chocolate, very scared of it. No. So there we go. Now this chap, Andrew Bullock, 30, well, he's 38 now, a TV producer, has a phobia of chocolate. He says Easter's one of the hardest times for him. Hates it. Walking down aisles, seeing it, friends gave him a chocolate egg. He had to pretend he really liked it. He couldn't even hold it very well. Poor guy. So let's spare a thought for Andrew today. But kids, thank you so much for your help with that. These are things we're afraid of. If you want to go back and sit with your parents, or you're welcome to sit at the front as well, it's up to you, wherever you want to be, that you'll be comfortable as we think a little bit more about this. And not chocolate fear, but fear in general. Because it's, this, it's interesting, isn't it? At the start of our reading and throughout the Bible reading, I hope you heard this, that there were people who were afraid and fearful at different points, weren't there? Does anyone want to shout out from the reading? Who was afraid in the reading? Who was afraid? Soldiers, brilliant, Graham, thank you. The soldiers were afraid. Who else was afraid? The women, the women. Now, these seem like really obvious things, but it's a shock. Here are these people afraid. And understandably so. The soldiers were afraid. Soldiers were afraid of the angel, the earthquake. We're told that they became like almost comatose. The women, they went to the tomb. They were afraid. They have this encounter with an angel. They hear the earthquake. The angel uses this earthquake to, to move the stone and then sit on it. Matthew gives us that unique insight, whereas the other gospel writers don't. But they hear this strange message about Jesus. This is not what they were expecting. On Friday afternoon, Matthew tells us in chapter 27, the women 
have been sitting opposite the tomb watching the rich Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, take the body wrapped in cloth and putting it in a fresh new grave with no other bodies. They were sitting opposite observing all of this. That is not what they were expecting, an empty tomb. And it's interesting that these Roman soldiers are put there as a security measure to make sure nothing can happen to this body that's gone into this tomb. And it's interesting that Matthew gives us all the details to help us understand that the tomb on that Sunday morning was really empty. Was really empty. And when you think about fear, when you think about being afraid, it makes us do strange things, doesn't it, fear? It can freeze us, can make us like stop still, can't move, frozen in fear. Or it can make us run really fast away from the thing that we're afraid of. We find an immense rush, an adrenaline rush, and just do something. It helps us to concentrate in that time for the most important thing, which is usually staying safe. And it's interesting that even though the soldiers and the women were massively frightened, they did not forget, they did not question, they did not doubt this one important fact. The tomb was empty. No one doubted that it was the wrong tomb. The big question for both Jesus' friends and Jesus' enemies was how did the tomb become empty? This is the Sunday morning puzzle. Perhaps they had got the wrong directions. But no, if they'd gone to the wrong grave, the enemies, the soldiers, would have been very happy to point out, no, it's the one on the right. That's where you should be. To prove them wrong. But they don't. And the religious leaders, interestingly, although it's not said explicitly, they're scared because they make a plan to say that the disciples stole the body in the night. They're scared of what this means now that there's an empty tomb. And they're prepared to say the soldiers were asleep, which must have scared the soldiers even more, because that shows they weren't doing their job properly, and they would have been beaten severely for that, if not kicked out of the army, or even in the worst cases, executed, but certainly beaten for that. So they were prepared to go through that in order to sort of somehow cover up what's gone on. And then we think of Jesus' friends. Where were they? They weren't even anywhere near the garden tomb. They were so afraid. They were locked in their houses in an upper room together, staying safe, staying out of the way in case they might be arrested. You see, there are plenty of things in the world that make us afraid. And I think we can easily overlook this on Easter Sunday when we've heard this story so many times. The people involved were scared. They were frightened. They were at their lowest point. They were grief-filled. For the women and men who were Jesus' closest friends, they were very afraid because the person they believed to be God's king, their savior, was dead. And now his body's gone. None of this seemed good news at all. 
But God knows our fears. God knows how to replace them with his peace. And that comes by knowing the truth, that Jesus is alive. And that's what the angel promises, that Jesus will meet them all in Galilee. There's good news. And do you know, in Matthew's gospel and in the others, but particularly in Matthew, the locations are important. Galilee is the place of light. Jerusalem is a place of darkness. The city is the place where there's opposition and ultimately where Jesus is handed over to death. But Galilee represents light. Matthew 4 starts there. That's where he proclaimed his ministry. That's where things started bringing light to Israel and the Gentiles. And so the angel's saying, we're going back to where it all started. He'll meet you there, the place of light, the place of truth. This is amazing news. But the women, isn't it a beautiful um, way of picturing it, the authenticity of it? Both really afraid and really happy, all mixed into one. What are we doing? They're still scared. There's still a fear, but there's joy. And it's interesting that God meets them and us today in that place of fear, in that place where we can be scared, in our place of doubt with the questions, with the hurts. And let's look at what happens next, because there's a movement, isn't there, in the narrative from fear to worship. Fear is replaced with worship. Verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings. That's a big hello. Jesus is saying a big hello to everyone that he sees, these women. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. You see, that's an important detail because right there and then, Matthew is saying, this wasn't a ghost, this wasn't a spirit, it wasn't an existential experience or something that they just thought of. It was physical. They touched, they held on to his feet. And by raising his son from the dead, the Father, God the Father is showing that he has accepted Jesus' sacrifice for sins for everyone who believes in him. All who trust Christ as their saviour are now counted right with God. We're his friends, not his enemies. And when you think about it, you cling on to something you really love, don't you? You cling on to something that makes you feel safe or something that is highly valuable. Um, Children, can I ask you again, just to get your, your thoughts on this, what do you find you hold on to really tightly at times? Maybe when you're afraid or maybe something you really like, what's that thing you wouldn't let go? Anyone want to share something? Oh, there's a hand up here. Thanks, Juliet. Yes, friends, when you're hanging out, it's lovely to hold hands with friends. It's great to give them a hug and say you care. Anything else that people hold on to tightly? Oh, Hannah, well done, that hand's up. I bet it's going to be a profound answer from Hannah. Unicorn and vest. I thought it was vest. I was like, vest? Brilliant. Ah, it's your vest that you've got there and unicorn. What color is your unicorn? Pink. Brilliant. That is superb. Adults, what do you cling on to tightly? There's a hand up at the back. I'll go up to Donna. Teddy bear. bear. And what colour is your teddy bear? It's grey. Brilliant. Now, there's something else I reckon you guys hold on to without even noticing it. Every day, some of you wake up and it's already there. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Your mobile phones. Yeah? Isn't that something that adults love and teenagers love to cling tightly to, even as they're walking? The phone, something that you can't do without. What about the security guard? As you're walking down the high street near a bank, what are they holding tightly? Especially if they're dropping something off at the bank. That, that heavy-duty box, triple locked, handcuffed to their wrist. Yeah, that's not going anywhere. You're not putting that down in a hurry. It's not leaving that person. Because it's valuable because it's got tons of money in it. What about the parent walking through a crowded city with their children? What are they holding on to? Their child. That hand, close, grab tight. Why? Because these things matter. These people we care about. Some things we hold on to to make us feel safe. Other things we hold on to because we love them. We can't do without them. It's a wonderful picture. You hold on to the things and the people that matter to you. These women, in the overpouring of their joy, were showing the love and devotion, and yet more, worship. That's a God thing. They were ascribing to Jesus what is God's. Worship. Now, when we come to Jesus, when we trust him, he truly takes away our fear. And do you know how he does that? The fears don't necessarily just go overnight. We still suffer with anxiety. We still have things we worry about. We still have things that bring darkness. But do you know what he does? He replaces it by giving us something bigger. Something bigger than the fear. And do you know what that is? Him. It's Jesus. He gives us himself bigger than any fear and, and enjoys and wants us to cling to him and he holds us. Whatever fears we have, do people like me? Have I got enough friends? Uh, have I got enough money? Am I loved? Uh, Will I ever get better? Will my health improve? Can I be happy? Why is work so hard? All these phobias, all these anxieties and fears. He gives us something bigger in the moment, constantly, to defeat those. He gives us his risen self. You see, the resurrection puts all our fears in perspective. It makes them small. It's a lifetime of believing that, actually. Because there'll be times when those fears seem so big, too big for God. And that's a lie. We have to help each other to refocus, to rehear this good news. The fear has gone because we have been given Christ. It's amazing when you think about it. Just think, in six weeks' time, Peter, one of the closest uh, apostles who had denied Jesus, is publicly in Jerusalem, in the temple, saying this. This is what he's preaching. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who crucified, you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man, this uh, formerly paralyzed man who's now healed, this man stands before you healed. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That fear transformed. And not just any old message, Jesus will help you out. The one you crucified and has been raised by God. And you see, this is where Resurrection Sunday leaves us, with a response. 
there's a response. Quite simply, who will you follow? Quite simply, who will you listen to? Will you do what he says? Will you accept or reject him and his truth? Will you share or deny his good news? Will you live in his truth? Or will you look for other truths, for other lies that actually conflict with and pull down what Christ has done? We see this most clearly in those religious leaders who can't be blamed for this. This is changing their world. This is a confrontation off the scale. This is a Messiah that they did not want, but so desperately need. And they have to come up with a way of living with it, with preserving their life, with keeping the structures, with making sure everything works as they want it. So you come up with another interpretation, another hypothesis, but it doesn't hold water. And as we'll see in a few weeks' time when we have our um, event looking at the resurrection, why do Christians still today believe in the resurrection? We'll look at some of those other hypotheses and theories which have been put out by very academic, very bright, intelligent people. But they don't hold weight. But the fearful thing is that if you say yes to the resurrection, your life changes. That's what people are afraid of. A God who really is in charge. A God who really loves us profoundly. A judgment that is real. You see, when we come to Jesus, what Resurrection Sunday shows us, it is scary. Because coming to Jesus means we're seen, we see how sinful we are. We see the depths of our selfishness. But we also see how loved we are in him. Just to close on, Rebecca McLaughlin, um, the writer who's published a book called Confronting Christianity, she captures this change of life, this movement from fear to joy, this movement from phobia to worship. She captures this in the life of Joy Davidman, who uh, is, was a Jewish-American atheist poet. As a young woman, she became a communist, motivated by her deep longing for justice. In, uh, towards the latter part of her life, as you can see there, she married C.S. Lewis. And she wrote, of course, I thought atheism was true, but I hadn't given quite enough attention to developing the proof of it. Someday when the children were older, I'd work it out. That was her thought. But her husband, Bill, also a writer, was a workaholic, an alcoholic. He was unfaithful. One day he called Joy from his New York office and told her he was having a nervous breakdown. Then he hung up. Nothing. She frantically spent the day phoning around friends and colleagues trying to find out what had happened to Bill. By evening, Joy recalls, there was nothing to do but wait and see if he turned up alive or dead. She put her children to sleep and waited. And in that silence, with all those fearful emotions and thoughts, something happened for the first time in my life, she writes. I felt helpless for the first time. My pride was forced to admit that I was not, after all, the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. All my defenses, all the walls of arrogance and cocksureness and self-love behind which I had hid from God, well, they went down momentarily, and God came in. There was a person with me in that room, directly present to my consciousness, a person so real 
that all my previous life was by comparison a mere shadow play. And I was more alive than I had ever been. It was like waking from sleep. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is an invitation to us today to come out of the shadows into the glorious light of life with Jesus, to come to the God-man who forgives sin, who heals the brokenhearted, who makes the greedy generous, who turns the selfish into sacrificial, who takes people like us dead in sin and makes them alive in him, a family fit for his kingdom. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Accept Jesus' gift today. Come to him. Change the fear to worship. Change the darkness to light the gloom to life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your saving love. Thank you that in Christ we have a perfect, sufficient, risen Savior. Lead us to praise you now for the person who is still wrestling with and has deep questions, rightly so about the truth of Christ's good news. Lord, would you answer those questions, whether it takes a couple of days or a month or a year or several years. Lord, may they walk in that place towards you. Meet them, Father. For those of us who profess faith, who say, yes, Jesus is our Savior, take us further into the resurrection life. Help us to realize those fears we have been set free from. Our sin is no more. We share in the glorious life of Jesus Christ as his beloved children. Holy Spirit, work that into our hearts. Come now and help us respond to you in the only way that is fitting, full of love and worship for you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.